0: take out your Bible, turn over to Psalm 24. Psalm 24, we're in a three-week series, this is week two, of being wise stewards. Last week we talked about managing our resources, generosity, and uh, in a moment I'm going to talk to you about, you know, grace-filled giving we talked about and how I applied that, Austin applied that this week in a tangible way as we go through this message. But today we're going to talk about managers of God's creation, Managers of God's creation. So the backdrop of today, and really last week and this week, or next week will be Psalm 24. And look at verse one. The psalmist says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. Verse five, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob, Selah. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Selah. And may God add his blessing at the reading of his word this morning. And Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we commit this time, this message to you. We know in Isaiah 55, as your word goes out, it does not return void. Lord, you know what the needs are of every person sitting in this room. Some need to be encouraged, some need to be challenged, some need to be convicted. Some need to rejoice in thanksgiving for what you're doing in their lives. And Lord, may this message touch hearts and touch lives and have its intended purpose from your throne today, we pray and ask in Jesus' name, amen. Today, I wanna compare what our secular world is saying about climate change and how it compares to the Bible. But before we get to that, I want to highlight this psalm very quickly. It's a psalm speaking of Jesus' future reign physically here on this earth. It's a declaration of God's creating power and his sovereign control over the universe that he created. This psalm is a reference point in the background as we think about this very important topic of climate change. Verses 1 and 2, if you have your Bible open, it says God owns it all. He owns it all. He created it all. Second of all, verses 3 through 6 says God desires a relationship with his special creation, men and women that he created. And verses 7 through 10 talks about Christ's future glory when he sets foot back on planet earth at the Mount of Olives to set up his kingdom first in the millennial reign and second his rule and reign over the recreation of the earth in the new heavens and the new earth. I don't have time and it, we, to do justice to all the extent of this subject of climate change. We see all kinds of different viewpoints out in our secular world and even in the Christian world if you do much reading. It's interesting to me that you've got people that are so fanatical about climate change that uh, they believe that uh, the universe and Earth especially is eternal and that it would be better off if man wasn't on the planet because we wanna preserve this planet. The other extreme, we get the Christians who know that the world has a definite end time, so we don't care or do anything about the resources before us. And we wanna see what the Bible has to say, the balance of that, and understanding from God's perspective, this idea of how he's created this world, he's given us resources to take and use, And we're going to explore in short order some guiding principles for us as Christ followers to consider as we determine our part in conserving God's resources. First of all, we're going to consider God's special creation, mankind, and God's plan and purpose for humans. First thing on your outline is compassion for God's creation, his image bearers. We're going to take a few moments and talk about some personal things. Like you, I've been saddened by the unfolding tragedy in Davenport when that building partially collapsed this past Sunday night, leaving at least two people now. As of this morning, I heard they found Brendan Colvin's body, and so he is deceased and been removed from the rubble, but two more people are still trapped in there. And while others had to flee without their belongings, leaving them homeless, Pastor Brian Bill from Edgewood Baptist Church in Rock Island and I met about 8.45 at the site on Tuesday. I think we have a picture of that, do we, as well? There we go. We were there. We got a picture with the collapsed building behind us. And we stopped and looked at that building from City Hall at 4th and Harrison Streets. And the situation was so surreal as we could see into the apartments where people lived while hearing chants and protests and weeping among the crowd. It's one thing to see it on TV or the internet, but it's another thing to be down there on the site behind the fence, looking at that collapsed building and seeing the devastation to families and their loved ones. I was deeply challenged in my spirit when I saw the building firsthand and saw the deep sadness, the frustration and the hopelessness of the people who had come to the site. They were desperate to get more information. They were seeking answers about their loved ones who were still trapped in the building. This same building is where Jeremy's fiance, Rebecca, right, had lived when she was here in town working out the Iowa truck stop as an intern there at the museum. One woman moved into that Davenport apartment building after being homeless and finding a job at Dollar General and now she was homeless again. Pastor Brian prayed with her and gave her a copy of Ray Pritchard's book, Anchor for Your Soul. So Pastor Brian and I, we walked around asking people to share stories and some pointed us to family members. I had the privilege of gathering Brendan Colvin's family together and praying with them. A lady recognized Pastor Brian who'd attended his church. She was related to Ryan Hitchcock. And we met with the mom and the dad and in a weeping tone they told us that he was a believer in Jesus Christ. So we prayed with her and the husband. And at some point we found Austin. He was down there as well. Uh, He was concerned about a friend of his who had a a shop, a vintage shop there in the building. So he began to go around and minister to people with us. This event, Headline Network, broadcast this week and has unleashed all sorts of feelings in our community. The situation is fluid and continues to unfold. And as soon as you give out information, it becomes inaccurate, but two of those previously unaccounted for last week have been located. And now there's just two left in the building, Daniel Prien and Ryan Hitchcock. First Chronicles 122032 says about the men of Issachar that they knew the times and what Israel should do. In a similar way, we've been praying about how best to approach and respond and to put some ideas together. The information is printed on cards, which you have in today's program, and I encourage you to take that out for a minute and look at it. We have some out in the lobby if you didn't get one as well. Presence, it talks about presence there at the top. We need to live on mission wherever we are and ask God for practical ways how he can use us as salt and light in a decaying and dark world. If you know someone who's been affected, reach out with the gospel, with deeds of mercy and compassion this week. Pray. Church pastors and leaders met for prayer on Wednesday night at LeClaire Park in Davenport. I think we have that picture. And if you look to my right, your left, you see that yellow shirt. That's Austin, Melissa, and Norrin were there representing our church. As you consider this tragedy, spend time praying for those still missing for their families and for our community. A third thing it says there, to give financially I've been in touch with our deacons, and we're praying and contemplating what to give. And if you want to help financially, we recommend you send your gifts directly to the Salvation Army of the Quad Cities, since they are a gospel-focused ministry, and the link is there. There's a QR code that you could use as well. Donate items. You see places, the Salvation Army Ark Family Store, the Salvation Army Family Service Center on Kirkwood, the River Bend uh, Food Bank, so on look for ways to give and help. And lastly, partner with City Church. Good friend of mine, uh, Neil McReynolds is the pastor just around the corner on Brady Street, the City Church. And we learned that seven of his residents from the Davenport apartment building attend his church. And so they will be helping members with furniture, clothing and food once they locate permanent housing for them and there's information if you wanna help in some way. This is a fluid situation, so we're going to give all the information we can in real time concerning needs that our church can help with going forward. But this is a way we show compassion for our creation by caring for his image bearers. We see the first point under this main point, mankind is lost in this world and the next without God. Mankind is lost in this world and the next without God. Being down on that site on Tuesday for a couple of hours was like seeing real-time the microcosm of our world today. People were looking for <clears throat> answers. They couldn't find an anchor or a firm foundation to stand on or where to turn amidst this tragedy. And when you stand for Jesus and you're identified as a follower of Christ, you're going to face persecution. Well, Pastor Brian and I and <clears throat> Austin were there at the site We experienced a lot of anger and vitriol. At one point, while we were in the middle of praying with someone, three women looked at us and started yelling to tell us to get away, to leave, that we were not welcome there. I could tell from one of the t-shirts that they did not espouse biblical values and that's putting it mildly. While we were being berated, another woman came up waving an American flag while loudly propagating her strong political views, which were the exact opposite of the other three, so it became tense. I could tell things were about to get ugly, so Pastor Brian spoke up and said, we're here to help those who are hurting and to offer prayer. We're not here for political reasons. We then walked away and looked for others to pray with. Incidentally, while we were there, a psychic got a hold of a bullhorn and started sharing some crazy things. We also encountered a false teacher. He was sitting on his bike reading this book, and I thought it was the Bible, and I said, You know, congratulations, glad you're reading that to this guy. And he flipped it and showed me the cover. Do you have a copy of this? The final New Testament of Jesus Christ. It was not the true gospel. I walked away. We were headed to go trying to get into the news conference. I made note where he was. I came back. He was already gone. I wanted to talk to him. Pastor Brian shared with me an apostle and three members of a cult showed up on Thursday night. Those so believers settle this. Persecution is promised to the believer. One pastor said it like this I'm afraid we've sanitized Jesus and disinfected the cross, making it all safe. We saw firsthand the devastation, the hopelessness of people who are in the midst of a tragedy. They didn't know where to turn for help for their spirits and emotions. And as I reflected on this encounter, I realized it's like a parable. For our roles as believers in our enraged culture today, instead of espousing our personal or political views as believers, we've been commissioned to present to people, offering them the hope and the healing through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're called to be salt and light in a decaying and dark world. And if we don't live on mission, we're just going to yell at each other and people won't hear the gospel. This is also a reminder to persevere when pushback and persecution comes our way. Second point under this here is that mankind needs to be treated with care, dignity, and respect concerning their physical and spiritual needs. We've just outlined a few of those things directly in front of us. We've got the news this morning that a 16-year-old boy over here in Crow Creek Quarry drowned yesterday. So we see this all around us. Mankind needs to be treated with care, dignity, and respect concerning their physical and spiritual needs. Psalm 8, the the writer of this psalm said, When I look at your heavens, God, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him, man, dominion over the works of your hands. You put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the seas, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus was looking at the crowds and it says, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Men and women are the highest form of creation as far as God is concerned. God created the birds, the insects, the animals. And we need to do, we need to do our best to preserve them and treat them with dignity and respect. And we need to do that. But incidentally, it appears there are animals in heaven. We read in Revelation 19 that Jesus will come back to earth on a white horse. If you've read through Revelation, we see pictures of four different colors of horses. But more important than the earth and its resources are human beings. Humans are the focus of a relationship with God. And man, the resources found on this planet, are to help mankind to flourish. It says in Genesis 1.26, then God says, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So the planet was made to help serve God's special creation, mankind, as well as animals that he created and that Adam named. We are to take care by showing dignity and respect for God's living beings. There's a lot to consider and unpack there, but we have a tangible opportunity right in front of us now here in our community. So here's our application. Christ followers need to show compassion when they see the needs of the hurting. That's where we begin when we think of managing the resources that God has given to us. Let's look now at how we should view planet Earth, our temporary home. Care for God's creation, our temporary home. So why aren't more Christians engaged in taking care of the resources of our planet. It's because we've approached creation care ideologically instead of theologically. We made this a political view in our thinking to such a degree that when it comes to environmental concerns and challenges, responsibilities and commitments, we go first to our political moorings before we look to what the Bible actually says. And more to the point, instead of what the Bible really truly says, we carry our political views like they are religious views, and we often make those political views our true religion. Sandra Richter, in a book called *Students Stewards of Eden, she said in the United States, if you are an environmentalist, it's assumed that you are a Democrat. If you're a Republican, it's assumed that you cannot also be pro-environment. In other words, somehow environmental advocacy has been pigeonholed into a particular political profile and has become guilty by association. She goes on to add, but of course, Christians are first the citizens of heaven and therefore our alliances and our value systems are not defined by American politics. So how do we think Christianly about creation care? What would a beginning theology look like? Well, first and most foundational thing to understand about creation is that it doesn't belong to us. It isn't ours to simply do with as we please. It belongs to God as we read in Psalm 24, one, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all its people belong to him. You find that also in Psalm chapter 50, verses 10 through 11. You see that also in Colossians chapter one, verses 15 through 16 and other places in scripture. You see, God is the creator and owner of the entire universe. And I say this again, as I did last week, for emphasis to remind us that we're merely stewards of everything that we think we, in quotes, possess, because it's all from God. Psalm 50, verses 10 through 11 says, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. God wants, to, wants man to have dominion over the earth and be wise stewards of his creation. We're charged to care for creation. The nature of that stewardship, as outlined in Genesis 1 and 2, is very clear. We're to reflect the image of God toward creation through governing and reigning, tending and watching over it. Now, this is dominion, not domination. This is dominion, not domination. The directive was truly creation care. Dorothy Borse in her book said this, we don't worship creation, we worship God by caring for creation. Notice the distinction and keep that in mind. Be aware of this charge didn't end with the Garden of Eden and the fall of humanity into sin and the world into brokenness. Just as God seems to redeem us from our sin or seeks to redeem us from our sin, those of us who've been redeemed seek to share that redemptive work with others. God intends to redeem all his creation and thus work to continue to take care of it until the appointed time and be serious about it. In Romans 8, it really describes where we are in the context of our world at this time. Paul said this in Romans 8. He said, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility because sin entered the world, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. That's a pretty good picture of where we are in this world at this time. You see, the earth was made for man, not man for the earth. The earth was made for man, not man for the earth. So here is the foundational theology behind creation care. Here's four things. First of all, creation, as we said, belongs to God. We have been charged as image bearers to care for creation. Creation is included in God's redemptive plan, as we just read from Romans 8, and we can look at other places in scripture. And fourthly, that care involves responsible stewardship. That's really the summation of this message, if you get those points. What does some of that stewardship look like? Be reminded that theology is meant to be applied. Wendell Berry in his book, What Are People For? made this application. The ecological teaching of the Bible is simply inescapable. God made the world because he wanted it made. He, th- he thinks the world is good and he loves it. It is his world. He has never relinquished title to it and he has never revoked the conditions bearing on his gift to us of the use of it that oblige us to take excellent care of it. If God loves the world, then how might any person of faith be excused for not loving it or justified in destroying it, end of quote. So here's the application. Christ followers, we need to care for our earthly home. We need to be good stewards. We need to have wise use of conservation and items like that. We'll talk more about that at the last point. But keep in mind that this earth was created for a definite ending point. God knows the day that this world is, is, as we know it, as time we know it, is going to come to a stop and things are going to change. The world was made for us to inhabit, to enjoy, to be resourceful. But while it was created for all of that and more, it has a definite end date according to his word. So you and I, as believers, we are craving for the perfecting of God's creation, our eternal home. That's what we're looking for. Philippians 3.20 says we are merely citizens. Hebrews talks about how we're just pilgrims and strangers in Hebrews 11, passing through that God has prepared for us a city that we are looking for. So first thing we see under this point is that mankind needs to understand that this world in its current form was not created to be eternal. Now that smacks in the face of what some would say from the secular side, that the universe, this earth, is eternal, limited resources, and all those things that they say. But beginning in the millennial reign of Christ, things will be changing on earth. One example from Isaiah 35 says, The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Man was created by God to have an eternal body and soul. And while the planet and the universe are not eternal, you and I are. We're going to pass from this life and we're going to go to one of two places. A hell where a place is separated from God. Those who've turned away from God, who haven't received Christ, will suffer for all of eternity. Or heaven. And eventually we'll end up living in a new heaven and a new earth that God will create for us as believers. In Second Corinthians 3.18 it says, And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. This is progressive sanctification. The Holy Spirit making us more and more daily into the image of Christ. In 2 Peter 3.7, we get down to the crux of what's going to happen to this current world. In 2 Peter 3:7, it says, But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up. That shows you there's an appointed time. Are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. In verse 10, skipping down a couple of verses, it says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? What is your perspective? Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Amen. I'm looking forward to that day. This event occurs at the end of time, after the millennial reign of Christ, after the great white throne judgment where God's going to separate the lost and the saved for all time. He's going to cast Satan and the lost into the lake of fire and we'll be ushered into our eternal home in the new heaven and the new earth. I'm not sure whether he will use the current earth and wipe it clean and rebuild it or not, but that seems to be implied in these verses. But just as God created the world for a specific period, there's a point, there is an appointed time for the new heaven and the new earth. A couple scriptures before we close today to give us hope and to think about that, that day in Revelation chapter 21. Just imagine what this is going to be like. We have such finite minds, it's hard for us to comprehend. And John had a vision of this. In Revelation 21 verse 22, John said, "And I saw no temple in the city. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Continuing into the next chapter, Revelation 22, then the angel showed me John, the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit So our last point here is that mankind needs to be respectful of the resources that God has given to us. Some big things we can do as a state, as a country, to be good stewards of the earth, having a balanced approach to finding renewable energy and over time moving away from the resources that may cause damage to the planet. Fossil fuels are needed for more than transportation. It's needed for a lot of things, and God has provided that resource for us to have. Nuclear energy is a viable source of renewable energy that's becoming safer and safer over time. We see wind farms growing, and solar panels, and electric cars. These can be discussed and explored. These can be improved in over time by private partnerships with the government. Hydroelectric plants that use water to create electricity is another source of renewable energy energy. But the key word is balance. I was at a family wedding two weeks ago. And my uh, cousin, Debbie Kaplan, she works for Next Era Energy. She's in the upper uh, administration there. She was telling me that there's extremes on both sides, and they're trying to uh, come at this with a balanced approach. They're leading the way on renewable energy. Second of all, working with industrial companies of the world to continue to improve air and water quality by finding efficient ways to deal with pollution and waste. These are difficult discussions to have because not all countries are gonna buy into improving while other countries will, and this raises issues. So what are some things you and I can do on a daily basis? Well, we often hear the public service announcements about things around us that we can do, like recycling working on not being wasteful and teaching our kids how important it is to preserve the water and the food and electricity and so on, the resources that we have some control over, pick up trash after ourselves and even others that leave trash on the ground, adjusting our thermostats as we desire at home. And we could go on and on, but we have to do our part, and it's up to each Christ follower's conviction on what to do and how to train the next generation of kids. We can set an example and not go to the furthest extreme while making being good stewards of his creation a natural part of our life. So here's the application. Christ followers need to live with hope and preparation for their eternal home. We need to be looking to heaven. We need to realize that this earth is going to dissolve. But there are plenty of resources until the appointed day that God will decide that this world is done and he's going to recreate it and build the new heaven and new earth. We need to live with hope and preparation for our eternal home. Our key thought here is Christ followers, let's have a biblical and balanced approach when it comes to our care of our temporary home while we live here on planet earth. A biblical and balanced approach. I'll leave you with these three questions and then we'll pray. How can we care for the needs of those who lost their homes, belongings, and some, even their loved ones, due to the building collapse in Davenport on May 28th? Talk about a very practical application. What can we do individually and as a church? Second of all, how can we best use the resources God has given to us through his creation to take care of our needs, but be a good steward of those resources at the same time? And lastly, knowing that God will provide all the resources we need in our current world to live. How can we use those resources as opportunities to further his kingdom and preparation for Christ's eventual rule and reign on earth? I leave you with those things to ponder and to think about and apply this week. Let's pray. Father, we hear a lot in the news almost daily, about climate change. And we hear all different points of view as we pointed out in this message. Help us, Lord, to be grounded in your word, to be balanced. And Lord, you leave some of these decisions for us up to our own personal convictions of what the Holy Spirit leads us to do, following the principles in your word. So Lord, help us to be good stewards of the resources that you give us here on planet Earth. Help us to be mindful of them and not only to uh, conserve and take care of, but also use them as instruments to further your kingdom, to share the gospel with other people as well. We pray and ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.